With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey, everyone. It's another Wednesday, and uh, I'm here with uh, Jim Johnson. Hello, everybody. And Louis Argoni. Hi, Dolphin fans. Well, we saw the Super Bowl this past weekend, and... Uh, surprised us a little bit, I think. I think most of us expected the Chiefs not only to be competitive, but probably win the game. And it didn't turn out that way, did it? Not at all. Yeah, the Super Bowl, uh, you know, when we did the show, Jim, you weren't with us, right? When we did the preview show on Saturday. No, I was was busy cleaning some roof drains. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we were having a little more fun than you were then, obviously. But the, um, yeah, the game, I... I expected it to be a tight game. We both predicted Kansas City to win, right, Mike? You predicted them as well. Yep. And uh, boy, oh boy, I'll tell you what, Tampa put an ass whipping on them. I mean, it wasn't- Shout out to Todd Bowles. The only thing that we talked about, Mike, yeah, shout out to Todd Bowles and um, a big negatory for Mr. Biennemi, who's looking for a head coaching job. Um, You know, their game plan- just, you know, we talked about it as we were watching the game. You know, we, we talked to each other, I think, 15 times over the course of the game. And uh, we were both in agreement on the fact that the, um, the play calling and the game plan itself for Kansas City was just horrible. I mean, it was five, five step drops right in the pocket. Mahomes um, running for his life. And there was never, they never changed anything. They came out in the second half and it was much of the same. And they just never mixed it up. I felt that they needed to attack the deep safeties. You know, I think Tampa had two, three safeties playing deep on most of the plays. Most of the game, they were playing like a 3-3 three, three, uh, alignment where they would drop linebackers and uh, right. have three safeties behind them. So you'd have three linebackers, and then behind the linebackers, you'd have three safeties. Right, and it, would, it worked perfectly, but Kansas City – never made any changes in their offensive game plan, especially in the second half. You, you know, you go into the half, you have maybe one of the worst halves they've ever had with Mahomes at the helm, and you don't make it any was, changes. It was the worst. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm it, saying at halftime, Mike. I mean, yeah, you know, it, yeah. it ended up being that way as well because of the fact that they were just saying, you know what, uh, this has worked for the last couple of years, and we're going to continue to do it regardless of the fact that you guys have just shut us down completely for a whole half at that point. And um, there's Don't stuff- you think that their decision-making uh, right before the half was really what cost them when they couldn't score? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I thought it was, it was a horrible decision. Listen, on first down, I get it, right? They hit, they hit them for a two, three-yard loss, right? So it's second and 13. But Tampa comes back on second down and picks up, I believe, 12 or 13 of the, or 11 or 12 of the yards back. 
So it's now a third and one or a third and two, which is very makeable. But Kansas City then calls a second timeout. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you do that, you know, at that point? If you stopped them and it was a third and 13, I get it. Because now the chances of them picking up that first down are a lot less. So it came back and it bit them in the ass. And, you know, the fact that Tampa scored right before the half was, was huge. I mean, yeah, big swing. You know, I mean, what do you guys think of the pass interference call, you know, in regard to uh, right before the half? I was not a big fan of the officiating on Sunday. I thought, you know, they, they the, through the playoffs, they were loosening up and they were letting the guys play. And it just seemed like in that game Sunday, they were really awful harsh. Yeah. Jim, you saw yeah. the play, right? The, the oh, passing. yeah. No, I, I, I was very upset about the officiating. And, you know, all throughout the playoffs and a lot of the games during the year, they were letting receivers and cornerbacks, I mean, just battle down the field. And, and they're using their hands and, and they're grabbing a little bit and they're letting it go. They're letting them play the game, which is fine. I don't care. Be consistent. And then in that first half, it was... It was a lot of ticky tack plays, and uh, that shouldn't have been pass interference if I'm if I'm out there because that that defender that fell down he never made an actual swipe or swing or attempt to interfere with that with that receiver, so that 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 should have been a no flag to me. Incidental contact down the field. I mean, basically, you know, he tripped over Mike Evans's feet. Yeah. Yep. Fell to the ground. Now, if he catches that and goes in, you know, it's a touchdown. It's incidental contact. It wasn't pass interference. So, you know, with that being said, you can take that play away, okay? I still don't think Kansas City's winning this football game. Tampa Bay deserved it. Now, I could sit here, and I know Tampa Bay fans are going to talk about the interception that got called back because there was, you know, a ticky-tacky pass interference called on that play as well. But the bottom line is this, is that Kansas City has overcome 20-point deficits in playoff games. They've done it over and over again. And in this game, they just weren't good enough to overcome anything like that. And I don't care you know, whether Tampa had two or three more pass interference calls in this game. Tampa was the better football team on Sunday. So you know, um, Kansas yeah, City I, fans can cry all they want. Yeah. The point is they got beat. The, the better team was Tampa by far. By far. I, thought, I thought they were outcoached. I really did. Oh, uh, big I, time. I, I did not like uh, the offensive approach by the by the Chiefs. I just thought that they were a little bit too greedy, and they, they weren't making those plays. So why do you stick throwing downfield like that? You've got a quarterback mm-hmm. who's under pressure. You think you would devise something to allow him to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker. Right. I mean, yeah. go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I was watching this game, and to me – uh, the Chiefs came out and uh, they were a bit flat, and uh, and then Tampa was playing well, and the Chiefs were like shocked. It's like they were playing shocked. They didn't know how to operate. And and Andy Reid and Bieniemy, they were just thinking, well, we had a bad series. Mahomes is going to come out. We're going to make some plays. Everything will be fine. And that just never materialized. And Mahomes was was missing easy passes, and Kelsey dropped a you know. A, a pass off his hands. But like you said, Mike, they didn't really change it up. Now, 
you know, we've already to- said that Todd Bowles is, you know, he coached a, a great defensive game, and uh, that's basically what kept Kansas City playing in that kind of shocked mode the whole time. They were and, twisting, and they were stunting, and they yep. were sending cornerbacks on a blitz. You know, they were really changing it up, and, uh, you know, I, I really thought that Bowles had a great game plan to stop their offense. Exactly, and Reed and Bianami, I mean, they know your two starting tackles are out. And they know, you know, and Dominican Sue and, and Barrett are, and Pierre Paul are coming for you. All the cards are on the table. You've got to come up with a plan to slow that roll. And they just never did. It just didn't happen. Oh, that's it. That's it. I mean, it, it, you know, I was shocked by that because, I mean, we even talked about it on Saturday, Mike, the day before. I said, Reed will game plan for this, you know, yep. and yeah. – um, They'll make adjustments accordingly, and and they didn't. Uh, to my, to, I Not was shocked. Not that we could see. No, you're watching the game, and you're looking at it, and you're saying, okay, they, they've got to make adjustments. I mean, I don't know what they were what they were doing. I mean, because if you watch Tampa over the last couple of weeks in their playoff games in the NFC, their defensive ends were kept Barrett and, and uh, Pierre Paul were killing tackles, you know, on both of those teams, and. You know you have two backups in this game, so you have to make adjustments. And quick passes, I mean, I think they did it once or twice, Tyreek Hill, and they were his best plays where he just did a quick slant off the line of scrimmage. That's it. You know, that's how you counter that. You hit them in between. You know, you spread them out a little bit, and you use that speed, and you get four or five yards at a clip. And they were running the ball well. That was the other thing. I mean, in the first half, they ran the ball three times, which is insane. You know, Hilaire was actually averaging over eight yards a carry when he touched the ball. He had like eight carries for 60-some-odd yards on that first drive in the second half. He came out and he had three really nice runs. And then, you know, they just, they'd get a first down and then they'd just drop five-step drops in the pocket, three straight plays, and and the drive's over. I mean, you know, it, it, you know if, if, you're, if you're in need of a head coach right now, and you're looking at this game, and I know you can't base it just on one game, but if you're looking at this game and you've got the enemy on the table and you've got, um, uh, what's the defensive coordinator? Bowls. Bowl, bowls on the table. You're thinking to yourself, you know what? Right now, you know, I'm swaying more towards hiring bowls over I am over, over the enemy because maybe the enemy is just in a situation where he's got a fantastic quarterback that just does so much very, very well, and he's got players around him that fit into that system perfectly. Now, you got to give him some credit to an extent, but, you know, as you watch this game, you know, you've got you've to look at it and say, hey, the great coaches make adjustments. And I mean, they make adjustments right in the middle of games if they need to. You know, Belichick's great at that. He comes in with a fantastic game plan. He adjusts every week to whatever team he's playing. It's not the same thing week in and week out. And that, that's why he's been so successful in the league. So, you know, again, you know, if, if I'm looking for a head coach right now, Bowles is at the top of my list. There's no question about it. He's done a great, great job. And Tampa, over the second half of the season, I mean, you can really give them a lot of the credit for the fact that they actually won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, Brady did his job. He gets a lot of the credit, but um, that defense, I'll tell you what, over the last three weeks has shut down three really good offenses. Yeah, they have. Yep. Maybe three of the best in the league. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could make that case. Mm-hmm. As I watched the game, you know, I was thinking about the Dolphin game when we played Kansas City, right? And um, I went back and I looked at what we did against them early on. We had two interceptions early in that game on them, and we they had a three and out, which they had a negative 32 yards on that series. We had a couple sacks on Mahomes. So we came out in that first quarter against them, and whatever we were doing was working quite well against them. Uh, the game kind of slipped out of our hands because our offense wasn't able to capitalize like Tampa was and put drives together. But, you know, the Dolphins had something going on against them for a while. I mean, as I said, they came out fired up. They, they had a punt a return for, for a touchdown Kansas City in that game. And it kind of started the snowball against us because we kept going three and out. And you can't, you can't keep giving Kansas City opportunities. They're just too good. And we don't have nowhere near the type of defense Tampa does. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm comparing us to them. But we came out and we were playing them much like Tampa was. We had the turnovers early. We, you know, we were getting sacks on, on Mahomes. And then it kind of snowballed from there. So it was interesting to me to watch that because we were one of the few teams that actually did that to him. Well, he was playing with a hurt foot this game. I think he was healthy against us. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. All righty. On so to the, the next topic. The Hall of Fame was here this uh, weekend, right? And uh, they had their nominees. Now, obviously, everybody wanted Zach Thomas to get in. Everybody, I think, feels he's deserving. Mm-hmm. The guys that made it were uh, Peyton Manning. No need to explain that. Charles Woodson. Now, Charles had. Uh, Nine Pro Bowls and four times he was named All-Pro. Great player. Yep. Calvin Johnson, six Pro Bowls, three times All-Pro. Calvin Johnson made it? Yep. Yes. I, I, I missed that during the show. I don't know how, but I missed it. Okay. Go ahead. John Lynch, nine Pro Bowls, two times All-Pro. Very deserving. Drew Pearson was the senior finalist. Mm. And Alan okay. Fanica made it. In mm-hmm. his sixth year of eligibility, he made nine Pro Bowls, and he was six times All-Pro. Mm-hmm. Now, if yeah, you look not- at Zach, he made seven Pro Bowls, and he was five times All-Pro. So he's, you know, right in there with them, you know. Who's that, Mike? Who is Zach that? Thomas. Zach Thomas. He is. I mean, he- go ahead, Jim. Well, I, I just looked at those same stats, and, uh, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense why Zach wasn't selected well, when- it- when it's Calvin, six, you know, six some of these, one is, you, you could really argue that any of those guys that they picked were deserving. You agreed. know what I'm saying? So oh, no, absolutely. If, if, right. if you're going to take that stance and you got to say, you know, uh, Zach just got outnumbered, that's all. And that, that's going to happen in the Hall of Fame. That's just the way it goes. So, you know, he'll be eligible again next year and hopefully it'll be his year. How many, I mean, does football not do what baseball does to where the guys have to be retired for four years or whatever Five before years. they get it? What's five that? Years. Five years. So Calvin Johnson's been gone for five years already? Yep. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Boy, does time fly. I swear to God, I thought he retired like two years <laughs> ago, you know? Yep. Um, I can't believe it's been five years already. I mean, listen, he was an outstanding wide receiver. There's no question about it. Um, you know, the numbers, of course, over the last decade or so are just through the roof in regard to wide receivers. It's just insane. Uh-huh. You know, the statistics that these guys are putting up. But, um, you know, I'll tell you. So, and that's where Drew Pearson comes in. Now, I had called you, Mike, and 
in regard to Pearson as we right. were watching the show. And, right. I, and I, I didn't realize he was a senior finalist. That that sort of takes him out of the Zach Thomas discussion. Exactly. No question about it. But even with that being said, I Nat ran Moore. off Nat Moore's statistics to you that 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 night. And Nat Moore had like almost 30 more touchdown receptions than Drew Pearson. And statistically, as far as as far as yardage and and catches, Nat Moore had more. So to me, it was more so the recognition, the fact that he was on those Super Bowl teams. And I'm right. just comparing Nat Moore. Now, Nat Moore was just a comparison because he came to mind. He played around the same time. I felt he was a comparable guy to Drew Pearson. I'm sure there's numbers of others, but you know, Drew Pearson's a great guy. I've met him. He's super, super nice guy. I, I'm very, very happy for him, but the Hail Mary, Lewis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one play. I mean, yep. I, you know, it's it that's a that's a questionable one. I don't look at him as a Hall of Famer. I just don't. And, you know, it you know, some people may disagree, but you know, his numbers are no better than a dozen others that played around his time. Go ahead, right, Jim. Yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah, I'm on the same page with you guys. I just, uh, you know, all of these guys that are, in, you know, got got in other than Pearson, I think are deserving. Uh, I just don't see. No, I, was know, gonna, I, I was going to argue Alan Fanica, but then I went and I looked and he he, he definitely belongs. Yeah, he really does. Um you know, but it it seems to be too much of a popularity contest and a bit of a, a political deal. You know, you look at uh, like Drew Pearson. You know, he, yeah, it's great that you want to recognize him because he was part of some of those great teams. But is he Hall of Fame worthy? I, I just don't see that, in my opinion. Uh, you know, three times, three Pro Bowls and three All Pros, and then you look at Zach's credentials and many others. It's not just Zach. He's just the one that, you know, kind of put salt in the wound. Uh, you know, there's guys that uh, maybe shouldn't have been first ballot Hall of Famers or or recognize that early. But, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, and again, Jim, he was, he was voted in in the senior category, which right. – Right. has nothing to do with Thomas. He's right. not it's, competing against those people. It's totally yeah, no. different. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, I, I understand that he's the senior guy, but irregardless, his statistics doesn't don't merit him going into the Hall of Fame at all. You know what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at here. Not that he's uh, you know one of the you know the current uh, you know enshrinees. I just uh, you know the merit isn't there to me. What, what do they okay. pick, Mike? One one every every year. From the I, I don't group. know exactly how that works, to be honest with you. I, I They have a system that they go by, but I don't know that it guarantees that any of them are going to make it. They, they do some sort of voting, you know, between them. Okay. So without being a, you know, a homer and bringing up Kuchenberg's name and whatnot, let me throw another name at you, okay? There was a tackle by the name of George Kuntz who played all through the 70s for the Falcons and the Colts. And they weren't great teams. I mean, there were a couple of years where Burt Jones and the Colts were in the playoffs. They were a very solid team until Jones got hurt. Now, Kuntz was an eight-time Pro Bowl player through the 70s. Uh -huh. Eight times. Okay? He was an, an All-Pro twice. He was a second team all pro three other times. Okay. So this guy, all through that decade, around the same time that a guy like Drew Pearson played, was one of the best at his job. 
and um, you overlook him and put in a guy like Drew Pearson, I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I have a problem with it. I mean, a guy like that, you know, it's the position, it's the team you played for, you know, it, it becomes that and not really deserving. And, and again, Drew Pearson, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for him. And some people may disagree with it, but um, when you got guys like that that are still not in the Hall of Fame, um, that were recognized year in and year out as the best, and they're still not there, to me, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. I mean, I, you can make an argument for Drew Pearson, um, you know, being maybe in the top half of the wide receivers, you know, through the 70s and early 80s. You know, the. Uh, you know, maybe somewhere between five and 15. He wasn't even one of the top ones. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to compare him to other guys. Um, well, you, you got Swan and Stallworth over in Pittsburgh during that era. You know, yeah, there were a lot of great receivers. A ton of them. And Kenny Burrow, Kenny Burrow and I'm thinking about their division, and Houston yeah. was great. I mean, there was a ton of guys. Uh, um, Isaac Curtis with Cincinnati was fantastic. I mean, Mike, there's a ton of them, you know, and I'm yep. sure as we, as we, you know, if we sat here and we thought about it a little bit longer, you know, we'd probably come up with a million names that are comparable to him. Um, you know, the Super Bowl wins got him in there. If you think about it, you know, you look at, you know, you already mentioned Nat Moore, but, you know, how many other wide receivers on the Dolphins have better statistics? You know, I mean, you can give that to some of that to Dan Marino, but still the criteria doesn't fit the Hall of Fame to me. And uh, no disrespect for Drew Pearson, uh, but I just I just don't see that selection. Agreed. Hey guys, this is Mike again, uh, breaking in for a second just to ask a favor of you. We would like to request that you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and rate the show. Uh, let us know how we're doing. We'd very much appreciate it. Thank you. And fins up. Okay, so they gave out a bunch of awards on television the other night. Did you guys happen to catch that? I did, Jim. I I missed the actual award presentation. Oh, you missed yes. it, Jim? Oh, yeah, I, come I, on, I, I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't well, feeling it. Well, you're lucky. It. We're going to tell you what you're happened. You cleaning gutters out? No, no, I just didn't feel Shoveling into snow? it. I, just, I honestly just wasn't feeling the whole Super Bowl vibe, and I pretty much knew who all the awards were going to go to, so I didn't bother. <laughs> yeah, you were you were smart, because as I watched it, I was, I was son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, all right, <laughs> Jim, let's, let's yeah. test that theory. Who won Assistant Coach of the Year? Assistant Coach of the Year? Uh, I would have to say I have no idea. That's I what do. I figured. I do, and Mike, you know what? I didn't even see that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't know for a fact, okay. but I'm gonna guess the San Francisco coordinator that got a head coaching job. Nope, he works up in Buffalo. Ah, yeah, oh, offensive Ryan coordinator. Yeah, guy used to be here. Remember? Yeah. Who? Brian Dable. Oh wow. Okay. Mm, interesting. Okay. All right, let's start at the top. Uh, the league MVP was uh, none other than Aaron Rodgers. Yay. He deserved it. Not hard to figure out. No, right. not at all. Right. Offensive player of the year, Derrick Henry. Yeah. I don't, I'm going to say that again. Derrick Henry, and I, I like Derrick. He's a hell of a running back, but offensive player of the year, I don't know. Yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised by that one because I didn't expect that. Yeah, like you said, great running back and all, but uh, of all the offensive weapons at quarterback, 
that had great seasons, that's that's a bit of a surprise for me. I mean, do they eliminate quarterbacks? Maybe no. they no. don't. So quarterbacks are involved. So um, it's offensive yeah. player of the year. You know, Rodgers, Mahomes. I think Mahomes is the obvious. Jim, you have yeah. what you Ma- got? Mahomes and Josh Allen would have been uh, above Derrick Henry to me because they yeah. both they both had great seasons. Yep. And Adams, Devontae Adams in Green yeah. Bay. I mean, he missed two games. And, uh, hell, he had, I think, 18 touchdowns over 14 games. It's crazy. He averaged over yeah. a touchdown a game. Yeah. And, and he had 115 rece- you know, receptions. I mean, you can make a case for him as well. He was just I- incredible this year, incredible. And well, I, the- men- I mentioned uh, Josh Allen, but what about Stephon Diggs? He had a spectacular season. He did. He did. I mean, listen, Henry had over 2,000 yards, right? So, you know, he got the ball a shitload of times. I mean, he, he did average five yards a carry, and nowadays in the NFL, you just don't see that, you know, that type of offense being run anymore where a guy gets the ball 25, 30 times a game, and that's what Henry does. So, right. you know, he's a workhorse. and. Yep. You know, all the credit to him, but, you know, offensive player of the year, you know, workhorse of the year, maybe, or running back of the year. I mean, they they should really divide that up. Um, I don't know how they vote on that, but to me, you know, the quarter, the three quarterbacks we talked about were probably more deserving with the seasons. I don't had. know how Mahomes doesn't win that award, but. You know, yeah. it is what it is. Yep. Uh, defensive player of the year was Aaron Donald. And of course, uh, Xavier Howard was in the running for that and fell short. Where did he wind up, Mike, in the voting? Third, I think. Third. So who else was in front of him? Oh, TJ Watt, probably. Yep. It was probably yep. TJ Watt. Watt. It was. Yep. Okay, and good. The disappointment to me is in the voting for that, uh, Xavier Howard only got three votes. Now, when was the last time we had a cornerback in the league that had 10 interceptions? Well, hold on, Jim. Did he get three votes total or three first-place votes? Well, three votes for Defensive Player of the Year. I'm not sure exactly how that played out, but okay. you know, that's what I'm getting at is he didn't even get much attention right. uh, from that really spectacular season we he We typically had, so. don't. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not well, to cry sour grapes, but we typically don't. You know, yeah. and, and, and the thing is this, is that the two guys that finished in front of him are hell are both great players. Are, are both had phenomenal years. Yep. I mean, listen, TJ Watt probably should have got it over Darnold, but again, you know, it's a name. You know, Darnold's a big name. He had a fantastic year, but statistically, I think TJ Watt had a better season. A cornerback is probably going to be the late unless the guy has just a crazy, crazy good year, which X Man did. And he still finished third. They're not going to finish ahead of you know guys that play linebacker or defensive end. They're just not gonna. Yeah. You know that's just the way it's always been. Comeback player of the year was Alex Smith, and that was that was a real touching story. Un- unbelievable. I, I just, I mean, you guys saw that, right? You know yeah. what he went well, through did. to get back on the field. Yeah, I didn't realize he almost died. Yeah. Oh that my was, god. He had so many complications to that to that broken leg deal. It was it was amazing that he's kept the leg and and was able to walk never mind come back to the nfl so that's that's just amazing yeah absolutely i mean that story was just incredibly just crazy yes i mean you 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 know you want to sit there and just cry and you know the fact that what he went through for two years i mean basically it was just two years and 
everything that he had to go through. Just an amazing individual. Incredible. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Very, very, very touching. It was really, really a sad story, but a, a triumphant one. And that's, that's great to see. Yep. Perseverance. Yep. Gotta love it. Offensive rookie of the year. Uh, who do you think that was, Jim? Offensive rookie of the year. Uh, it's a guy we could have drafted, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, Edwards, <laughs> was, Edwards Hilaire? <laughs> no. Taylor, probably, uh, right? No, plays quarterback. Oh, oh yeah. Herbert, of course. Herbert, Herbert. Herbert. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Well, Mike, you know, when you said it was a guy we could have drafted, there's like uh-huh. eight eight guys. I know, I know. <laughs> that, that, it wasn't know, a real good thing. There were quarterbacks, there were running backs, and there were wide receivers. Yeah, yeah. Lou and I were were messaging during that, and when they picked uh, Igbenogany, we we were both like, what? (laughs) Who? Yeah. Yeah. Was Lou pronouncing his name right? That's what I want to know. Uh, No, we we didn't even speak his name out loud at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year was uh, Chase Young. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. I'd love to have that guy. Uh He's a beast. Walter Payton Man of the Year was Russell Wilson. Every every team gets uh, somebody uh, nominated, and uh, then they pick a guy out of the 32 nominations, and it was Russell. Right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, coordinator of the Year was Eric Bieniemy. <laughs> okay, that was before the Super that Bowl. That was before the that, Super Bowl, yes. Yeah. That voting went in before the Super Bowl. Go ahead. Assistant Coach of the Year was Brian Dable. Okay. Coach of the Year was not Brian Flores. It was Kevin Stefanski mm. in Cleveland. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, I didn't agree with that. I mean, you look at what Flores did with a lot less. I mean, what, how many wins did Cleveland have? 11? 11. Yep. We had 10. Look at the talent that they have on that football team compared to the talent we have. And well, one, I think what, what they were looking at was it's the first time they made the playoffs since 95. So so what you're saying is, well, oh, let, let, me, let me do this then, okay? Let, let's say, you know, you're looking at this and you've got these guys on paper uh-huh. and you're looking at this guy and you're, look, you know, you're looking at Stefanski, you're looking at Flores, you're looking at a couple other guys. Do you guys think that the decision to put Tua in at that point in the season over Fitzpatrick may have cost him the coach of the year with, with the fact that you're saying we didn't make the playoffs? It, it is very possible. Very possible. Because, I mean, me personally, if, if he did in fact make a mistake this year, and I don't know what goes on in the organization, I would hope that he didn't get pressure from up top to get him on the field. But you know, as a fan and as I'm watching the season develop, um, you know, we would have probably made the playoffs. And you know what? Looking at Pittsburgh and the way some of these teams played in the playoffs, I mean, I don't know where our offense would have been with Fitzpatrick. I mean, maybe they're, with the way our defense played, maybe we had an opportunity to make win a playoff game. But the bottom line is, is I think that that decision, you know, may have hurt him in an extent as far as making the playoffs, and it may have hurt him in regard to getting coach of the year. Maybe they felt that it was, you know, it was a mistake that he made by doing what he did and they held it against him because he got a lot more out of a lot less otherwise. Agreed. Executive of the year was uh, Brandon Bean, the Buffalo Bills GM. Yeah. Yeah, he he's put a great team together. You agree with that, Jim? I mean, you look at yeah. what they've done up there. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Buffalo is really putting the pieces together, bringing in Diggs. Uh, just, I mean, it opened that whole offense up, and and it's hey, they were right there on the cusp of going to the. That was a great move. Yep, and uh, we were all kind of shocked when Minnesota let him go, uh, you know. But that was the piece that that Josh Allen needed, and we saw all year long what they were able to accomplish, and. You know that's 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 great management right there. So you, I'm you know I'm I'm happy with that pick. The yeah, you, you know the Browns manager not so much like you said, Lou. You know they they've had like a hundred first round picks the last decade, and uh, it's about time they put something together. Exactly, and um, you know getting back to the you know the back Diggs was signed, and just as important was bringing Beasley in. I mean yep, Beasley, yeah. Yeah. just an outstanding pickup. They signed. Brown the year before, who's another, you know, he was injured quite a bit on and off this season, but he's an outstanding wide receiver as well. And, um, you know, that's, that's what they've done. I mean, they, they have not drafted a receiver. They drafted Gabriel Davis, I believe in the fourth round, and he's their fourth receiver right now. They've gone about it by going out and bringing in free agent wide receivers that were pretty much developed by other teams. And they can't, they're right into their prime. We knew when Diggs went there that he was going to be problems. Oh, absolutely. But, um, you know, the fact that they've gone that route, which is something that, you know, we've talked about through some of our podcasts as far as going out and getting, the you know, receivers through free agency. Well, I'll tell you what, they, they've done it three times over and they've been successful with all three for the most part. I know Diggs came over in a trade, but, you know, I, I kind of just – Throw that, that into in. the mix, yeah. right? Yeah. I lump it all in together. It was still a you know an acquisition for a veteran receiver, and it's worked out pretty well for them. And gave that kid somebody to throw to. That's for sure. He did, and you know, guys, you know, uh, while we're on the subject of drafts and whatnot, um, you know, let's go back to the Super Bowl and just touch on that for a second in regard to how important the offensive tackle position is. Okay. And I know there's people out there, Mike, I read it on the page nonstop. Oh, we got to get a big play receiver. We got to get, we got to do this. Listen, if Sewell's there, you got to draft him. And watching the Super Bowl should have convinced every single Dolphin fan out there that that's the route to go. Because if you don't have blocking, you're not doing anything else in this league. You're not running the football. You're not protecting your quarterback. You guys can't have everything, you know, right from Jump Street. But what you do absolutely need is is an offensive tackle that can just dominate. And um, again, you know, just yeah. refer back to the to the to the Super Bowl and see look, how important look at your left tackle. <laughs> look at Buffalo, and you know their their offensive line is solid. You know, right? I mean, it goes without saying. You know, it's these guys don't come along. Go ahead, Mike. You had something else before I. No, I was just going to say, you know, the the game is won in the trenches, and and you got to have that elite QB, yada, yada, yada. But the game is won in the trenches. Once you have that established, then you talk about the elite QB and and all the other pieces to surround him. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, You know, you're not going to get that type of talent through free agency because they know the teams know the importance of these guys, and they just don't let them get away. You know, it's it's few and far between. So, 
you know, anybody out there who wants that big play receiver at that number three slot, if in fact we hold on to that, um, you know, you got to be crazy. You know, watching the Super Bowl, I mean, what did Tyreek Hill, what was he capable of doing without blocking from Mahomes? Absolutely nothing, right? Yep. I mean, useless. <laughs> it's useless. It's, for, yep. you know, you got Mahomes just getting annihilated playing and play out. And, and that's, that's where the importance come in. It comes in. Now, if he's not there, well, then it's a whole different story. But you've got an elite guy there. You have to take him. Yeah, some smart ass on the page said he made he made Mahomes look like Tua. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, that was cold. That was really cold. Who yeah. made Mahomes look like Tua? The, their uh, pass rush. Oh, their 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 pass rush. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't see. <laughs> I I didn't see Tua deal with. I've see, I saw Tannehill deal with that right. type of stuff right. on occasion, right. but. I it don't wasn't think, quite that. It wasn't quite that bad. Not at all. Not at all. Well, hell, Mike, you could go back to you know last season at times early on with Fitzpatrick and Rosen and what they were dealing with. I mean, it was you know people have short memories, they really do because if you go back and you know what Tannehill dealt with, for, you know, for a couple of years there, where he was hit more than any quarterback in the league and sacked more than any quarterback in the league by far. And then you throw into what was going on early in the season last year. The beat, I mean, Fitzpatrick was getting a lot annihilated at times. You know, he was still making plays, but it, it, that had nothing to do with our offensive line play. So they've come a long way. I mean, to compare what Mahomes dealt with to what Tua dealt with this year or Fitzpatrick is, it, it's like night and day. That's ridiculous. And, you know, I don't want to offend anybody on the page, Mike. I don't know who it was, but. Yeah, that's not a fair comparison by no means. I mean, Mahomes is just getting killed. And I'll tell you, any other quarterback in the league probably would have been sacked 15 times. Yep. Tannehill, 20. At least. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's funny. Yep. You know, Mahomes was going down on a couple of those plays. He was in the grasp, and he still slung that ball 30 yards downfield, and and guys – almost made plays out of them you know the the balls were in were well it hit their spot. face masks it came yeah. off their hands you know yeah. i mean i mean his players weren't helping him either you know if a couple of those completions were made you know things could have changed but it you know that Kansas City just fell flat on their face and well, that's there's something to be said for timing of a play you know yes. sometimes when you knock that play out of sync it it kind of discombobulates the receivers absolutely it, might, it was backyard football the whole yep. game i mean yep. All you saw was him running for his life. And I mean, right off Jump Street. I mean, he was getting the football. He had a second to look downfield. Uh-oh, here comes somebody. Yep. And to his credit, as Jim mentioned, the angles that he threw some balls, and some I don't know how many times he got balls down the field from all different angles as he was falling down, as he was getting hit, as he was running left, running right. He did a fantastic job. Any other quarterback in the league, like I just mentioned, would have been sacked 10, 15 times in that game. He's an incredible athlete, but he can't levitate over the defensive line. Absolutely not. And um, I felt bad for him. I really did because it it was just – Did you see what he was making? (laughs) Well, that's beside the point, Mike. Come on. I lose all my sympathy when I see those salaries. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's across the league now. You know, I mean, all of these guys that are crying, you know, about they, they want, you want to touch on that, Mike? 
Not yet. I want to finish the awards first. Okay. Oh, oh, we're still on? My God. How many awards are they giving out here? Well, the FedEx uh, Air and Ground Players of the Year were Aaron Rodgers and Derrick Henry. And uh, the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award was Teddy Bridgewater. Okay. Clutch Performance of the Year was the Hale Murray when Kyler Murray hit DeAndre Hopkins to beat the uh, Bills. That's bullshit. <laughs> I why agree. is it bullshit, Lou? Uh, Jim, you tell them why. You know why. Well, the Dolphins had a, a fantastic play when our quarterback had his face mask in the grasp of a defender, pulled the opposite direction, and he still slung the ball 40-some yards downfield to make a completion that created the you know a last-second win for the Dolphins. So, uh, you know, if a quarterback can still see and is upright, Compared to a guy that's getting his head turned sideways by a defender, I'm going to give it to the guy with his head getting pulled sideways. I'm pretty well, sure he was looking at his own ass, but I'm not. Oh, that was that was horrible. And it, and and you know, you give it to Kyler Murray. That's that's wonderful. But you know, hey, that's we you, we all saw the the replays. What you guys didn't see was Fitzpatrick's head ripped off, and as Hollins <laughs> was catching the ball down the field. He reached down, picked his head up, and put it back on his head. That The camera didn't catch any of that. Oh, okay. Put it on yeah. his neck, you mean, yeah. I yeah. mean, on his neck, yeah. yes. Yeah. He put his head back on his shoulders and went right back to work. Yeah. So that the he's, camera didn't catch any of that. He's tough that Fitzpatrick. Yeah. He's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that that should have, I mean, that to me, that was, that was just a better play. I mean, yes, the Murray play was great, fine and dandy, but. Um, I got to admit, I loved it at the time. Yeah. What's that? You loved what? The Murray play because they beat the Bills. Right. Oh yeah, no question. But did you love it more than Fitzpatrick's no. play? No, no, agreed. And no, I that, think that, that was that was an incredible throw. I, an I incredible I, throw. I, you I know still what? don't know how he got it there, Lewis. Yeah, that's I, crazy. I, I don't know who did this voting, but if I'm sitting in, and I don't want to sound like a homer, but if I'm sitting down and I'm looking at these two plays, the Murray play was great. He threw the ball up, hail Mary, great, fantastic. And then you look at the Fitzpatrick play, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Right. How did that even just happen? It was that spectacular. That should have been, that should, and, and the, the timing, of it, it wasn't the first quarter. I mean, he comes off the bench in the fourth quarter and leads them back to a victory in a game that they were behind the whole time. That was great in itself as well. You know, I mean, well, you, so you know how ESPN grades all these things, you know, with their metrics and all that. And then he said yeah. it was the uh, third least probable play to complete the whole season. Right. So where was Fitzpatrick's? We I'm saying know. his his was third. Oh, I don't, I don't know where was Murray's third. was. Right. right. Well, Murray's was first, obviously. Uh, well, no, I don't know. I don't know that that's tied to the <laughs> so, voting, Lewis. All that, all I got that. you. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying now. I thought you were saying that's how they decided. No, no, no. I don't know uh, how they decided. Okay, I got it. I got it. Go ahead. Go ahead, I, Jim. What? I, I want to see the, the video from the, the hardest and the second hardest. If Fitzpatrick's throw was the third hardest play, the guy's head was sideways. How can it? No, that's just BS. Well, it man. was the degree of difficulty. You know, he only had uh, a small amount of the sideline there to get his feet in bounds. You know, the whole thing. Okay, yeah. I got you. Oh, whatever. So, anyway. Yep. All right. So, now that we've got the awards uh, given out, 
there still has not been an announcement on the Dolphins' uh, offensive coordinator hire. So, uh, you know, of course, we heard that it's going to be uh, two guys, but they've yet to announce it that uh, God's Ear Studsville will actually be named. So we'll see what happens. Now, they also haven't named uh, defensive line coach hire, which they're going to have to do any time now. And uh, one of the rumors floating around is that uh, uh, Miami's going to have to play at New York, uh, the Giants, uh, as their 17th game. We'll see about that when the schedules come out next month or the month after. I guess they come out in April, uh, and we'll know for sure then. But that's the rumor. The thing I wanted to talk about, guys, uh, you know, I think some of these quarterbacks are getting a little big in their britches. Uh, we heard about Deshaun Watson, you know, wanting uh, more say in personnel decisions, and he wasn't happy because the owner lied to him. And uh, then we heard Aaron Rodgers come out and say something similar. You know, he wants more say in personnel decisions. And uh, now we're reading that Russell Wilson wants more say in personnel decisions. I thought they hired these guys to play quarterback. I- am I missing something somewhere? Uh, I think that's the rumor. Yeah, they're supposed to be the quarterback and and uh, basically an employee of the club. You know, granted they're the face of the franchise and all that, but they're getting paid thirty-five or forty million dollars a year, and yet they want they want more control over everything, and that that's a bit mind mind boggling to me. I I I'd be tickled to be making my forty million dollars a year and. Uh, uh, if if the boss does something I don't like, I can just look at my paycheck and be okay with it. Right now in the NFL, there's a major problem because it may not stop at quarterback position. You know, it could start on defense. You think the kicker's going to want to make uh, personnel decisions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't go to that extent with it, but but it yeah, could be where, anybody. Where is where is it going to end? Yep. You yeah. know, I mean, you've got. You've had wide receivers running their mouth and dictating things and, you know, the quarterbacks. I mean, you know, at some point, us as fans, I don't want to hear it. I don't want soap opera. I, I want to turn on a football game. I want a guy like a Steve DeBerg, right, that went out there and played game in and game out, shut his mouth, didn't say a word, just ran the, you know, ran the football game and called it a day. I mean, yeah, you know, we're going to long for that. You know, and the, the well, fan. You know, to me, Lewis, this is a, a a big slap in the face to the fans. It's very disrespectful to the fans. We're the guys buying the tickets. We're the guys paying your salary. And when you start pulling antics like this, what? How, how does it end up? Where Where does the story end? It ends by guys being traded and and fans being screwed. Right. Who pays for it? Uh-huh. The fans. The fans right. do. They don't. They're making their money one way or another. I mean, this is society nowadays, you know, in general, you know, it's like nobody's satisfied with with anything, you know, it's always (laughs) got to be more, more, more. So, I mean, where does it end? And, and, you know, you keep drawing that gray line and they, you know, that they kind of just, you know, erase it and they push it to one side, they move it, you know, how much more money do we have to give you to just go out there and play football and let us decide on personnel decisions? Because listen, you know, I sit here and I, I ju- I'm judging Greer for what he's done. Listen, none of this is easy. There's no science to it because if there was, then you'd have a team that did this year in and year out and was successful in doing it. And that's not the case. It just isn't. I mean, sometimes you got to get lucky. And a lot of the times, luck, a lot of luck is involved. Now, there's sure exceptions to the rule, but the fact that Dan Marino fell to us in that draft 
I mean, look at all the gurus that year, you know, that were wrong. You know, that he was the worst quarterback of, of that whole batch uh-huh. coming out. That now, this is, you know what, we're going to decide to take Kenny O'Brien. We're going to take Tony Eason and all Tony those Eason other and bozos. Todd Blackledge and <laughs> yep. so on and so forth. The point is, is that there's no science to any of this, okay? So you want more say as if you know more than, than guys that are professionally doing this? I mean, I always catch myself doing the same thing. I'm like, these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. Why would they draft this guy and not this guy? They've made mistakes over and over again. And, and sometimes, you know, th- that is the case. You know, sometimes guys just don't get better at what they're doing and then they get basically fired. In the first di- round, your odds are about 50% at the top of the round and it drops from there. You know, the, the odds are not in your favor of picking a player. They're not yes. in your favor. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, with all that being said, you know, you don't need another, you know, just go out there and, and you know what? You don't want these guys being that influential because when you do that, it's almost like any other job, right? Like Jim, your work, you go there and you're in the boss's ear nonstop, right? And you're, but you, you know, you're, ba- you basically have a say in things when you're on the same level as me and Mike in regard to what we do as, 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 you know, as a job, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's going to be resentment. There's going to be some pull because you may go in there and say, you know what? I like Lou, but I don't really like Mike that much. So you may get in their ear and say, I don't like Mike's worth ethic. And uh-huh. it may be, you know, 75% true, 25% wrong, but now you're influencing people in a different way. And it may not have anything to do with what they're doing. It may be the type of individual they want, whatever the case may be. They have no, no business getting involved in personnel decisions. You go out there, you do your job just like the other 52 guys on the field, and, and that's it. That's what you're paid to do. End of story. And nobody's paying you extra money to become a consultant on the team until you retire. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's silly. I mean, you know, look, it's one thing if he wants to say, you know, to this coach or the GM, whoever he speaks with that, uh, hey, listen, man, we could really use a right guard. This guy's getting me killed. You know, that's fine. Go ahead and say that. But that's where it should end. But they know that anyway, Mike. I mean, they're watching games. Well, of course film. they do. Right. Of course they do. But my point is, you know, if you feel like you have to say something, then go ahead and say it. But don't expect everything you say to be acted on and, uh, you know, take it like you were lied to when something happens different than you planned. Exactly. You I know, mean, you, you've got to respect authority is really what I'm saying. And if, if the authority figures in that organization decide to do something different, you have to respect that. There's, I agree with you 110%. I mean, you know, you can't expect an organization to go out there and just be able to fill every hole needed. I mean, you know, you can sign a big offensive tackle and throw a ton of money at him. And, you know, if the, if the front office feels that, my God, we just overpaid for this guy just to satisfy our quarterback. Now he's making a ton of money. Now our left tackle's making a ton of money, which he doesn't deserve. And we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to take a, uh, take a hit on the defensive side because now we can't sign that young linebacker. So, I mean, you know, they have to have an understanding of what goes on. I mean, all of these people in these organizations want to win football games. I mean, head coaches, if they don't, they lose their job. 
if coordinators don't do what, what they're supposed to do or what they're expected to do, they lose their job. GMs lose their job. So, I mean, I don't understand where you get the balls to, to think that you, you have a say in any of that. I don't care who you are in the NFL. It's that simple. That's it. I mean, you know, look, the GM has to work to get to where he is. He just doesn't become a GM. Uh, normally, they work in scouting, and they and they work in the organization or some other organization, and they and they work their way up. Uh, because you're a quarterback doesn't mean you are on the same level as a guy who's been scouting for th- 25 years or 30 years. Uh, so, you know, I mean, some people will argue that the players know players better than the guys in the office, and, and maybe that's true to a certain degree, but, uh, you know, you can't you can't have too many cooks in the kitchen, and that's really what it boils down to. And uh, the players need to play, and the the GM needs the GM, and the coach needs the coach, and those who aren't getting the job done need to be replaced. It's as simple as that. Yeah, to me as a as a fan, you know, you're looking in at this, and and to me they they're acting like a bunch of over overpaid spoiled little brats, and and they're not things aren't going how they want, and now they're stomping their feet over it, you know. Uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, they got rid of Hopkins, my best target. And, and, uh, Wilson, you know, wants better protection on his offensive line. And it's like, well, yeah, that's all well and fine. I don't but, blame Wilson, but that's yeah, not the no, way you I, go about it. <laughs> they, yeah, they have beefs to, to, to vent. I get that, but don't, don't do it detrimentally to the team approach management and say, Hey, look, what can we talk about this? But, you know, the way they go about it is just uh, it's just they're trying to leverage the situation their way to get more money. And and that's just BS. They're getting enough already. Yeah. I mean, don't you guys respect. And this is what we talked about a little bit, Mike, on. I don't remember which podcast it was, the one on Wednesday or Saturday. You almost respect Brady more and more. Right. Because you've never really heard him. He's a team player. You know, he goes out there and um, he's taking pay cuts to make sure that they're able to sign other guys. There, there was never any selfishness involved because he understands. Yeah, we talked end, about it Saturday. The end game. You know, the fact that look at where we're at. You know, I, I got seven Super Bowl rings. So maybe you guys should just shut up and uh, basically do what he did through his career. And uh, you may wind up, and Wilson should be more concerned, you know, with throwing interceptions in a Super Bowl game in the fourth quarter, uh, <laughs> you know, and costing his team a Super Bowl than, uh, you know, worrying about other stuff at this point. You know, yeah, that, that everybody makes caller. mistakes. Yeah, that was the play caller, but he executed it and um, he threw the interception, right? So, I mean, that's neither here nor there. All I'm saying is, is that everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You know, receivers, quarterbacks, offensive linemen. I mean, I saw Russell Wilson play horribly in games this year. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, just go out there, do your job, win football games, and and let let people do their jobs. Amen. Yeah, man. Yep. So, all right, guys. I think that's going to do it for tonight. Yep. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday. All righty. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. And everybody out there, thanks for listening. Yeah, man. And fins up. Fins up, doll fans. Fins up. All right, so that's our show for this week. I just want to remind everyone that the Fin Fans podcast is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network.
Social Podcast Network.